Hello there and welcome along to Planet Sport Football Africa, a passion for sport production where we look at African football, what's happening around the continent and what African players are doing overseas. I'm Steve Vickers in Harare, Zimbabwe, joined by Solomon Ashoms in Johannesburg, South Africa and by Stuart Weir in the UK. And on this week's show, we talk about the 2018 CAF Champions League and Confederation Cup, with the preliminary round games having been played and some big teams out already, while others found the competition was just too tough. We hear from Zimbabwean side FC Platinum. Yes, so there are no easy matches in, in, in the CAF Champions League. Football is actually developing, so football has changed. Also coming up, your comments on whether it pays to fire your coach when the results are poor. And Stuart's been looking at the statistics on the January transfer window in Europe. In other countries, interesting, there's been very little activity. In the German Bundesliga, spending was down 26% on last year. In France, down 60% on last year. Well, that's coming up later, but first to the 2018 CAF Champions League and Confederation Cup, and the preliminary rounds were completed midweek with second leg games. A couple of notable surprises in the Champions League, as the very experienced Stad Malien of Mali were knocked out, going down 2-1 on aggregate to Williamsville Athletic Club of Ivory Coast. Stad Malien were the 2009 Confederation Cup champions. And the 2012 Confederation Cup champions, AC Leopards of Congo Brazzaville, were knocked out in the Champions League, going out on penalties uh, to AS Togo Poor of Togo. Well, last week we highlighted LISCR of Liberia and how well they did to beat Sudan's Al Hilal 1 0 in the first leg, but Al Hilal won 3 0 in the second leg to win the tie. In the Confederation Cup, we thought there could have been an upset on the cards as Banjul Hawks of the Gambia had beaten Aqua United of Nigeria 2-1 away in the first leg. But in Banjul, Aqua United turned it around with a 2-0 win to take the tie 3-2 on aggregate. Here's a disappointed Hawks coach, Ansu Fati. That's why it's very important these type of competitions you try to bring in very experienced players. So that certain situation they could be mentally, I mean mentally tough enough to, I mean to be in control in certain situations. But um, nevertheless, considering world doesn't stop us from fighting more, we just we go back to fight more. If you compare uh, Aqua United and uh, Hawks, are two different type of uh, team. Go and visit their stadium, go and visit their facilities and what they have. Football. Um, it's not all about money, but money is very important there. That would help you to have a very good preparation. And uh, you need to work on more on playing games, games outside to, to have those experience. And uh, I could say at the end of the day, they were the better side based on all type of qualities and being a big team. Gambia football is coming up, but we need to work harder to assist teams financially to prepare them better. That's Banjul Hawks coach Ansu Fati. And while there are a lot of other disappointed teams already, some came up against very strong opponents. Zimbabwe's FC Platinum are very well run and won the league here for the first time last season. But they had a difficult draw against Primero Augusto of Angola and FC Platinum lost 5-1 on aggregate. My colleague Orbert Sitale spoke to the FC Platinum club chairman Evans Mtombeni. 
You have to understand that uh, for you to go to the group stages in CAF, uh, Champions League, you, you play four matches. So we could have cleared this head but still you, we were going to meet another opponent. So there's no uh, easy way to, in, to, to go to the groups of the Champions League. So it was unfortunate, yes. If we had got um, an opponent from a weaker league or a weaker opponent, it was going to be an advantage. But one way or the other, along the way, you may meet a difficult opponent. Last year, Caps United actually met, met TP Mazembe, who went on to become the CAF Confederation uh, Cup uh, uh, champions, uh, past champions of the uh, CAF Champions League themselves. But they, they managed to do it. If you were to win this one, you also could have uh, been meeting a, a team from South Africa, another difficult proposition again. Yes, so there are no easy matches in, in, in the CAF Champions League. Football is actually developing, so football has changed. But I think we take lessons from the match in Angola, from the match here to home, uh, and take them to the domestic league, and also take the lessons uh, as we go to prepare for, for CAF Champions League or CAF Confederation Cup competitions in the future. This is the learning curve. So Zimbabwe's FC Platinum complaining there that the draw was really tough. And to Solomon, it's unfortunate to see good teams getting knocked out early. But you have to say that the Champions League and Confederation Cup has a really high standard now. And it's getting tougher and tougher all the time as football is improving in so many countries. It's definitely unfortunate to see good clubs getting knocked out early. But... It's not because they don't deserve it. Obviously, you play against an opponent who is equally good or better. And in the cup, you know, Champions League is really getting tough and getting tougher all the time. Uh, f because football in, in, in the continent is, is improving every single day. Uh, so it's it, you beginning to get clubs that are really unknown. Unlike, you know, former clubs that had lost their glory days, maybe clubs like uh, Ashanti, Kotoko or Ayimbag. Uh, but we're having new clubs also coming in because the game is improving. Our facilities are improving. So I definitely, I, I really agree that football is improving. It's good for African football. It isn't good for some nations or clubs, but it's very, very good for, for African football. Thanks, Solomon. And the first round proper of the Champions League and the Confederation Cup are sure to be even tougher. Let's look at women's football now. The African qualifiers for the Under-17 World Cup were completed last weekend. And the three teams that made it for Africa are Ghana, South Africa and Cameroon. The finals will be held in Uruguay in November. Ghana's Black Maidens beat Djibouti by a staggering 19-0 on aggregate, winning 9-0 away and 10-0 at home. South Africa beat Morocco 6-1 on aggregate to qualify for the first time since 2010, and Cameroon edged Nigeria on away goals. It ended 3-3 on aggregate, encouraging this for women's football in Cameroon. You might remember we had a story recently on concerns about the state of the women's game in Cameroon. So it's Ghana, South Africa and Cameroon representing Africa at the Under-17 Women's World Cup in November in Uruguay. Well, this is Planet Sport Football Africa, brought to you by Passion for Sport. And you can download our app and listen to the show anytime. To download, go to the Play Store or the Apple iTunes App Store and enter Planet Sport Football Africa. Once you've downloaded, you can listen to the show anytime on the app and access past programmes too in our archive. You can also listen to the show on our website, that's planetsportfootballafrica.com, and our Twitter handle is at planetsportfa. 
Well, next on the show, to an interview about football and faith with Simba Nivi. He's a striker who's made 10 appearances for the Zimbabwe national team, but has had an up-and-down career. Nivi went to South Africa to big club Mamelodi Sundowns as a 19-year-old, but injury problems meant he never played for them. He came back to Zimbabwe and won league titles with Dynamos and with Caps United, two big Harare clubs. A move last year to Tanzania didn't work out due to contractual complications, and he's now back in Zimbabwe. Well, Nivi is a follower of Jesus and goes to the Zion Christian Church. He's working with the church to share his faith and recently held a football tournament attended by many young people. My colleague Langton Nyakwenda spoke to Simba Nivi to find out more. Obedience is the highest degree of worship. And when you have obedience, that means everything that you do in life, you respect it and you listen. So what I'm saying is, when you have God and you accept God, there are things that follow us that we don't even, you know, with the people that we associate ourselves with. Now, when you're in the church, we are surrounded by people, people that don't do drugs, people that don't do other uh, negative things, people that have got positive ideas, people that build you. So we want, we, we are aging footballers, uh, celebrities, to surround themselves with such people who know God. Because uh, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of all wisdom. And that's what we want to encourage into the, into, into the celebrities. And, when these celebrities, they're well known all over. These guys that are coming up, they look up to the celebrities. They look up to the big players. And if we are examples, look, it has helped me and I've seen a, a, a lot of potential in myself. And from where I came, I've seen results by what I did in accepting Jesus as my personal savior. How important was God in your, in your soccer career, given that you once had an injury, you had problems with Super Sports South Africa? God never said we will not have problems. All problems, they come to strengthen us or to teach us. And when I had injuries, I looked up to God and said, God, no, everything is under your plan, I under your control. When I look at my career, my career has been very successful, to be honest to you. I have won four league titles. I have won a lot of medals. So when I look at my career and where I was brought up from by God, then I see positive things and I can speak good things about my career and my football career than what other people see outside there. So to other youngsters who are, who are coming up, what can you tell them about the importance of uh, maybe worshipping God and also playing soccer? How can you combine the two? Look, uh, these youngsters have to learn one thing. Uh, they have to be disciplined. When you are disciplined, you are able to, to, to go far as a footballer. When I grew up, I saw the importance of staying around people who go to church and the effect that it has in, in our lives as, as footballers. So I, I think it helps a lot. So can we see you, Simba Nivi, maybe going an extra mile, maybe moving out of your church and spreading your wings and I mean, harnessing all the youngsters who might not necessarily be worshipping at uh, Zion? That's what we are, we, are, we are doing as a Zion Christian Church. We want to bring all those youngsters that are outside there to come in the church because Jesus never came for those who are in the correct way. He came for those that are outside the way. So what we are doing is we want to fish all the talent that is outside there that is lacking sponsorship and we want to bring them in the church. Oh, God is all about love and helping people. Poor people, people who have got potential but don't, don't have the, the necessary equipment to, to, to go where they want to be. We are telling them that no, this talent is an investment that was made by God into us. So God expects some returns. And then we expect these guys, when they play and they go there, they never go wrong in terms of the, the things that we see and we notice that when they see me from the way that I grew up and up to now, I can, I, I can see and feel these guys can, can actually go far with their talents. That's Zimbabwe national team striker Simba Nivi, very committed to his faith in Jesus. 
Well, Solomon, do you think that believing in Jesus makes any difference if you're a footballer? Yes, Steve, I really do think that believing in Jesus makes uh, a difference in the life of, of any footballer. The lifestyle that Jesus showed, you know, qualities of being, uh, you know, humble footballers because of attention and, and the cameras on them. Uh, they tend to be uh, prideful and arrogant and, and proud. But Jesus is saying, look, you know, be, be, be humble and be modest also. And he also shared, try to love your neighbor as yourself and try to share what you have. Footballers make so much money but how do you share that money and also you know there, there is uh, the life of a footballer is uh, so many uh, temptations to get you away from being the best footballer you know like drugs and alcohol uh, women and just concentrating your life and making your identity be around material things like cars and clothes uh, and, and you just feel you're on top of the world and coming from a poverty home you know some people do lose it we have a lot of footballers that have lost it because of the that. But Jesus is just about him, you know, being there and saying, look, apply these life principles. So Jesus provides us with great life principles, provide footballers with great life principles. It's not just footballers who need uh, Jesus. It's not just footballer who who embrace Jesus and they see a difference. I believe wherever you are, be you a student or you are somebody who works for the government or you run your business, uh, you know, when you put the principles of Jesus into your life, you're definitely going to see a difference. And, and it's great to hear just the whole area uh, from Simba talking about a Obedience, how obedience is very, very important, uh, we know, uh, in your relationship with Jesus. Uh, so Solomon Simba Nevi talks openly about his faith as a follower of Jesus. Many other footballers follow Jesus. Others have different faiths and many have no active faith. Do you think it's valid for Nevi to use his platform as a football player to promote his faith in Jesus in this way? Yeah, I definitely believe it is valid for uh, Simba and also any other footballers to use their platform, uh, you know, to promote their faith uh, in Jesus. You know, some people suggest sometimes that you should, you know, keep your faith, what you believe in, aside from, uh, you know, your football. But, you know, your faith or your, your religion uh, and who you are and what you do should be together. Footballers are out there. They represent a lot of young people they inspire a lot of young people a lot of young people are looking up to them as role models and if they fail if they make wrong choices a lot of young people are also going to make wrong choices so how about you you share your faith uh, you know as a follower of jesus just so a lot of young people will know you're a follower of jesus and there are certain principles that guide your life and you embrace you've embraced that uh, just so they would follow suit because young people follow mentors and also people that look up to role models very easily uh, because definitely Jesus do uh, and, and he's still making a difference in the lives of a lot of young players so for me I, I really feel that we should see more footballers actually who are followers of Jesus uh, to continue to share their faith openly just so uh, you know the audience, people listening, football fans will be able to be inspired uh, from it. Well thanks Solomon and you can tell us what you think about this on social media this week. Is it okay for players to promote their faith in Jesus? So Simba Nivi, who we just heard from, is holding football tournaments with his church to share his faith with young people. So do you think it's acceptable for players to use their status to promote their faith in Jesus? 
We'd love to hear your thoughts on this. You can go on to our Facebook page, Planet Sport Football Africa, or send us a WhatsApp to plus four four seven nine double five two three two seven eight zero. That's plus four four seven nine double five two three two seven eight zero. Do you think it's okay for players to promote their faith in Jesus? Well, staying with social media, and on last week's show, Stuart looked into the effectiveness of the strategy of English Premier League clubs firing their coach to get instant results. We looked at Carlos Carvalhal, who's led Swansea out of the relegation zone after picking up 14 points in seven games since he took over. Seven other clubs have also changed coaches this season, including bottom-placed West Brom. So we asked, do you think that firing the coach is the best thing to do if you need a change in fortunes? On Facebook, Johan Misongwe from Malawi says, yes, firing the coach is a solution. In the case of Jose Mourinho, he has good players, but he's not producing the results. So the only option for Manchester United is to fire him, says Johan. Meanwhile, Moses Al-Hakim from The Gambia says sometimes it's good for the team, sometimes it makes it even worse. It's just like gambling. In Uganda, Charles Iaz Alejo says it can help clubs on some occasions, but it's not always good if the change is made through pressure. Let's go to what's up now. We had a voice note from The Gambia from Ebri Makante. Sometimes it works very well. If you look at Swansea, it works for them and they are now out of the relegation zone but if you look at Stock City it backfires so you know they have to give the coaches time to work on with the players yeah so firing coaches is just it's just crazy sometimes at the EPL yeah, sure. Thanks to Ibrima Kante there. Also on WhatsApp, Ishmael Saidu Kanu in Sierra Leone prefers a more patient approach. I've said it many times that sacking a coach is not always the solution to the poor performance of a team, says Ishmael. Patience and more support for the coach would be more likely to solve the problem rather than simply firing them. And Mohamed Ba in the Gambia agrees, saying coaches need ample time to bring fortunes to the clubs they're managing because the English Premier League is very competitive, so it's not easy for a coach to settle in quickly in that league, says Mohamed. Musa Jaju, also in the Gambia, says, I don't support the idea of firing managers, but what's the point of keeping a coach who's not delivering, like Arsene Wenger at Arsenal? Liverpool brought in a new manager in Jurgen Klopp and he's turned the club into a title-challenging team. But I don't know why Wenger is still at Arsenal when he's not delivering. I want him out now, says an angry Musa. Paul Bello in Malawi agrees that firing the coach can be positive if the relationship between the players and the coach has broken down. Sometimes it's good, says Paul, because sometimes players can be at loggerheads with their boss, so it's good to change, but it can also have the opposite effect because instead of the problem getting resolved, it can keep on increasing. Hamat Jobe in the Gambia says, oh yes, firing coaches has always been successful, especially in the English Premier League. We've seen it with Crystal Palace and likewise Leicester City when they sacked their coach and appointed Claude Puel. I always believe that when coaches are dismissed, it's always positive because when a new manager comes in, he comes up with different methods and a philosophy in the game with high expectations. Real Madrid sacked Rafa Benitez and appointed Zinedine Zidane and went on to win the Champions League two years in a row, says Hamat. Now here's Jimmy James Perezi in Uganda. 
At times it's right because if the manager has stayed at the club, but both him and the club hardly win any trophies, that means he deserves firing, says Jimmy. But then when the team is performing OK and there's a possibility of winning a relegation battle, the coach should not be fired. But firing is good if the club has high ambitions like Real Madrid but struggles in the Champions League. So, in short, firing is good where it is necessary, says Jimmy. Burang Jatta in the Gambia is a Chelsea fan. Yes, I agree, sacking the coach is the best solution because I experienced it with my team, says Burang. After sacking Mourinho in 2015, new coach Gus Hiddink helped the team to escape relegation. Desmond Tundekoka in Sierra Leone believes it's all down to results. I honestly agree that firing is the best solution because in football the ultimate goal is to win trophies or titles, says Desmond. So if the coach is not doing well, he has to go. Campo in the Gambia agrees, saying sometimes change is good, especially when the results are not coming. At Swansea, Carlos Carvalhal has done fantastically well in those seven games. He's the right man for the job. I believe he will save their status in the Premier League, says Campo. Alpha Jallo, also in the Gambia, partially agrees with Campo, saying yes, it does work sometimes, because pundits were predicting Swansea to be relegated to the championship, but now the new coach has really changed their status. On the other hand, it hasn't been a very good option for West Brom, who are still finding it very difficult after they changed their coach for Alan Pardew. And finally, Matar Cham in the Gambia says, I don't think firing managers during the course of the season is a solution because the new coach may take a long time before he makes things right. Well, so uh, a lively and intriguing debate there. Uh, thanks very much for those views on both sides of the argument. And as always, apologies if we didn't have time to read out your comment. So this week on Facebook and on WhatsApp, we're asking, is it OK for players to promote their faith in Jesus? We had an interview earlier on with Zimbabwe national team striker Simba Nivi, who's had an up and down career, but he says his faith as a follower of Jesus has helped him. He's now holding football tournaments with his church to share his faith with young people. So do you think that it's acceptable for players to use their status to promote their faith in Jesus? You can go onto our Facebook page, that's Planet Sport Football Africa, or send us a WhatsApp to plus four four seven nine double five two three two seven eight zero. That's plus four four seven nine double five two three two seven eight zero. Well now, our European football expert Stuart Weir joins us from the UK. And the FA Cup continued to provide some surprises this past weekend. It does have a history of doing so. Uh, Stuart, how come Tottenham couldn't beat Rochdale? Uh, Rochdale, at the bottom of the third tier League One, managed to force a draw with Premier League Tottenham. Well, actually, Steve, Tottenham have drawn both their last two away games 2-2, away to Juventus in the Champions League and away to Rochdale in the FA Cup. I think that they were quite pleased with Juventus, but Rochdale was not quite the uh, result they were looking for. They went to goal down even and had to come back. But it's what the FA Cup can do. And remember, too, that Tottenham in the last round needed a replay to beat Newport County of League Two. So it's just the magic of the FA Cup. And talking of magic of the FA Cup, it doesn't get much better than Wigan beating Manchester City. Wigan of League One beating the best team in England. And in the second half, 
Manchester City had 82% of territory, but couldn't get the ball in the net. And poor old Wigan, who hardly saw the ball, got the only goal. Now, moving through the the FA Cup, Swansea drew 0-0 at Sheffield Wednesday. It was a weak Swansea side with only Jordan Ayew of the African players involved, and he came off the bench. Southampton beat West Brom 2-1, and Brighton beat Coventry. Manchester United beat Huddersfield. And Leicester City now put out their strongest team and beat Sheffield United. We had a goal from Vardy, of course, but Ndidi, Mares and Ihenecio were all in that Leicester side. And the other tie, Chelsea beat Hull 4-0. Now, that leaves the quarterfinals looking like Manchester United at home to Brighton, Leicester at home to Chelsea, Wigan at home to Southampton, and then a complicated tie with Sheffield Wednesday or Swansea against Rochdale or Tottenham. So real opportunities for some of the less fancy teams to get even to the cup final or perhaps win the cup. Yes, plenty of room for more upsets in the FA Cup. And Stuart, you've been looking at statistics on the January transfer window in Europe. Well, yes, Steve. The January 2018 transfer window has been the biggest January transfer because it used to be that the main transfers took place in the summer and not much in January. But what happened in Europe involved $1 billion changing hands, and that's 49% greater than last year. And interestingly, of the 10 biggest transfers in the last 12 months, five of them took place in January. That was Coutinho, Van Dijk, Diego Costa, Laporte and Omobayang. Inevitably, the Premier League are the biggest spenders, but Spanish clubs also spent $385 million, which is 17 times more than last year. A lot of that by uh, Barcelona, who, of course, got a large sum of money from Neymar in the summer and have been buying Coutinho and one or two others. But in other countries, interesting, there's been very little activity. In the German Bundesliga, Spending was down 26% on last year. In France, down 60% on last year. And in Italy, almost 70% down. So it's interesting that great activity in the English Premier League and in Spain, but not other places. Coutinho at 190 million in his transfer from Liverpool to Barcelona was the most expensive. And another fascinating thing is of the top 10 transfers of the year, three of them were centre-backs, because you normally think of forwards getting the money. That was Virgil van Dijk from Southampton to Liverpool, Americ Laporte from Bilbao to Manchester City, and Diego Martinez from Real Sociedad to Bilbao. And of course, it's also important not only to sign players, but to sign the right players. And Real Madrid bought several players in the summer transfer, but none of them has played more than 20% of the time this season. So spending big money on players whom you don't then select is not the best use of money. Now, going back to the Huddersfield Manchester United game, Juan Mata had the ball in the net, the linesman kept his flag down, And the referee touched his ear, assisted the VAR, and ruled that the goal was offside. 
Jose Mourinho said afterwards, I'm familiar with what VAR is bringing, and it's sometimes good and sometimes bad. I recognize that this is an experimental period, but we've got to get rid of the bad and make it better. And probably the decision was correct, but it was incredibly marginal. And some people would argue that in such a marginal situation, the benefit of the doubt should go to the attacker. And also don't forget the wording is that VAR should be used to overturn a decision only if it is clear and obvious. And you certainly couldn't say that it was a clear and obvious error by the assistant referee. You know, you need to look at the video, slow it down. And I certainly would question whether that is what we're really intended to do with VAR. The incident also raised another amusing situation. Juan Mata said, I didn't know what to do. I didn't want to celebrate the goal in case it was ruled out and then I'd look silly. And then when they award the goal a couple of minutes later, it seemed a bit late to start celebrating. So there's something we hadn't thought of. Yes, the delays are what I don't like about the VAR, the video assistant referee. Thanks for that, Stuart. And Africa will get its first official trial of the video assistant referee system during the CAF Super Cup this Saturday as the Champions League winners Widad Casablanca play the Confederation Cup winners TP Mazembe in Casablanca. The video assistant referee was trialled offline at the recent Chan tournament in Morocco. Well, elsewhere, more exciting games in the UEFA Champions League this past week. Chelsea drawing 1-1 with Barcelona. So Barca very much in the driving seat with that away goal. Manchester United drawing 0-0 away to Sevilla. The English Premier League is back this weekend. The big game Manchester United against Chelsea. That's on Sunday. Well, that's it for the show for this week. So from me, Steve Vickers in Harare, from Solomon Ashoms in South Africa and Stuart Weir in the UK, thanks a lot for listening. And Planet Sport Football Africa is a Passion for Sport production.